Are your wiper blades chattering, skipping, or squeaking? Don't let streaks or smearing on your windshield compromise your visibility. When it's time to replace your wiper blades, stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts and see our selection. Our professional parts people will even install your new wiper blades while you wait. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. 46% of Americans expect to leave behind financial obligations when they pass away. So it's crucial to make sure your family is financially protected. Policy Genius helps you find the right life insurance coverage by comparing options from America's top insurers with help from licensed, award-winning agents. Secure your financial future with Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com to get free life insurance quotes in just a few clicks. That's policygenius.com. Suffice to say, questionable choices ensued, and I've been a little wary of drinking in the Mile High State ever since. You look at this boat, and you'll think this boat has nothing to do with mastering bass. How much of the devil's lettuce do you need to smoke to get through a day like that? And these are big, juicy, nasty, segmented, black, alien, centipede-looking suckers. And I'll be honest, they scare the shit out of me. Good morning, degenerate anglers, and welcome to Bent, the fishing podcast. Not afraid to tell you that nobody takes you seriously when you show up to fish wearing a t-shirt or hat emblazoned with the species of fish you're trying to catch on it. I'm Joe Cermelli. I'm Miles Nolte, and I want to take a minute and let you know what I'm currently drinking. No, not that. It's a steaming mug of Freedom Roast from Black Rifle Coffee Company. Correct, sir. The Bent Podcast is entirely fueled by Black Rifle Coffee. Not only would Miles and I be utterly incapable of forming a coherent thought or complete sentence without their solidly caffeinated brews, but this show would actually not exist without their support. So if you dig what we're doing here at Bent and you like to start your day with an excellent cup of coffee, please go to blackriflecoffee.com backslash meat eater and pick up a bag or Eight, you can enter the promo code MEATEATER at checkout and get 20% off your first order. Sprinkle some on your Cinco's, man. It'll mm. get them all woke. Yeah, get, get them going. <laughs> <laughs> Joe, I don't know how things are out your way, but I'm sitting here sipping on my mug, gazing out the window, and things just do not look right. You know, with all these <laughs> fires just raging across this half of the country, man, it seriously, it feels like I'm living in Mordor. It's like dark all the time and ominous. Dude, that smoke that smoke made it all the way to me. We got smoked yeah. out here in Pennsylvania. I mean, it's that bad. It's terrible, man. And usually, usually by mid-September, things are looking up. Like usually by this time of year, the, the fires are out. The tourists are gone. All the bow hunters are up in the mountains chasing elk. And I've like kind of got the rivers to myself, but it's still warm enough that I don't have to wear waders. Right. I freaking love September most of the time. But this year, not so much. I kind of feel like... I kind of feel like September has turned her back on me. September is my least favorite month out here, if I'm being honest, because it's like purgatory. Like September is neither here nor there. You know, it's mm, not cold enough yeah. for solid, salty stripers yet, but all the freshwater patterns from summer start to change. So you have to like think more, you know, put more effort in your shit. <laughs> you got to think about off, it. <laughs> offshore is still good, but the windows get fewer, gets all. Windy and hurricaney, you know, false albies might start or they might wait till October. Who knows? It's like a month that just needs to be gotten through. It's like you're inching closer to steelhead season, but it's still 85 degrees out right now, you know? But hold up, hold up. Just to clarify, by steelhead, you actually mean lake run rainbows, right? 
Because yes. according to the, the, the metalheads <laughs> out here in the West, if it doesn't touch salt water, it's not a real steelhead. Oh, I know. I've been hearing that for years. You guys are just bitter because your steelhead fisheries are dying, but oh, the Great Lakes are still pumping true. out lots of fish. Like literally on demand, sort of, especially on the famed Salmon River in New York. It's like, <laughs> y'all ready for salmon and steel? Open them valves, boys. Call them in. <laughs> <laughs> is y'all is y'all a common a turn of phrase that you guys use in upstate New York? Is that is that part of the terminology? Uh, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I use it personally a lot. I've heard some y'alls up there. I've heard some y'alls in Western PA, you okay. know, but it, right. it, 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 I think it is when we're, we're doing a damn release steelhead cattle drive. It just <laughs> seems to fit. And I don't really give a shit what you call them, right? When I go to the tribs, I actually catch steelhead instead of standing around like an asshole casting for days with some misguided sense of self-importance. You know, I fished the Deschutes one time in my life. Wasn't impressed. Mm. Sorry. Yeah. No. Sorry. Wasn't impressed. I spent more time trying to stay on my feet on that greasy-ass flat rock they got out there than, like, paying attention to my swing. No, that's legit, man. That That, that is some sketchy, sketchy ledge rock on the Deschutes. But to be, brutal. It's to be brutal. clear, I don't actually have a dog in this whole, like, steelhead Great leg steelhead fight. I, I just like how pissed off people get about fish semantics. I think that's just fun. <laughs> I want to poke that bear. And for those of you out here who have no idea what we're talking about, steelhead are migratory rainbow trout that people lose their minds over because, I mean, well, really because they're they're just a lot of fun to catch. Uh, they're native to the West Coast, but stocked in the Great Lakes. Unfortunately, the Western populations have been declining big time for a while now. Uh, but the cult of anglers who live for them, they're a rare breed, as you're about to learn in this week's regional <laughs> fishing report. Uh, we got this coming to you from a legend of that scene and a pioneer of both the slap twirl lean cast and the quarter turn class skate three technique. Those are some fancy two-handed fly casts that we just made up for those of you who are looking confused. <laughs> Saddle up, steelheaders. It's time for the Western Steelhead Report from your buddy, Skagit Johnson. Well, it's late summer, so we're in the depths of the Jones. And man, if you don't have the shakes and the sweats, then you're not a real steelheader. (laughs) Those of us who get it are zombie to our computer screens all night, staring at the seven-day rolling fish count, trying to interpret the data, hitting refresh every 15 minutes, and praying that those fish counts start to rise. See, for those of you who don't know, fisheries biologists hire interns. They're called fish techs. Now those dudes, they count every single fish that migrates past the dams on the Columbia River, and they upload those fish numbers to the Federal Fish Passage website in real time, man. Real time. For the past 10 years, those numbers have been lower than my sperm count. Never since I got that shooting head wrapped around my sack while wading nipple deep during the high flows on the deschutes. But, for as bad as us real steelheaders have it, I feel like we've got a kindred connection with those poor bastards who sit in the bowels of the dams, hitting that clicker each time a steelhead coho or chinook swims up the ladder. What a job, man. Click, click, clickety-click. Hours on end. How much of the devil's lettuce do you need to smoke to get through a day like that? I don't know. Ah, yeah. Wait, what was I saying? Oh, right, right. We're all in this together, man. Those sad sack fish counters and those of us sitting on the other end of that Wi-Fi signal praying the numbers will be higher than the techs doing the counting. I'm even considering a GoFundMe to pay the fish counters to skew the data. At least we could get some hope. And that's really what this is all about, man. Hope. This is the hopeful time. The time before we find out the truth and all our dreams are crushed. Again. The fish might come back. Maybe it'll be like 2009. That was a good year. I was looking over my fishing spreadsheets the other night trying to remember exactly which head length and grain weight works best for my Berkey 15.5. Came across my ratios of fish caught to hours fished. In 2009, it was 1 to 8. 
Can you imagine catching a fish every eight hours? God, that would be amazing. The truth is, man, the runs are probably going to suck this year, just like they did last year. And the year before that. Embrace the suck, man. It's another season of weeding out the Trustafarians. The chaff will sink and the cream, it will rise. <laughs> it will rise. Wait, I think I might have mixed my old-timey metaphors there. But uh, any, any, anyway, man, the point is us bona fides will be out there fishing still, despite the terrible returns. And that's where I find my ray of sunshine. In the dark, moss-covered rainforest cabin that is my life, man. I can always rely on my own sense of superiority. My teletherapist says I should be more positive. So I'm, I'm trying that out. <laughs> that's, that's it for this week's Western Steelhead Report. I'll check back in the fall, man. By then, we should know if any fish at all are getting past the Bonneville Dam... They're all getting trapped in gill nets and eaten by sea lions. God, I hate goddamn sea lions. <sighs> you know, man, Great Lakes steelheaders are definitely a little less chill than your your buddy Johnson He's over there. He's pretty chill. He's pretty laid back. <laughs> but they're an interesting crew unto themselves. And look, stay tuned, East Side people, for a, a steelhead report from over this way. Uh, very soon. It'll be more uplifting, I promise. Mm. But as much as I as I enjoy the, the back and forth between East Side, West Side Steel, uh, I am genuinely bummed because I have never caught a true salter. Like, I feel like if you're into steelhead, you should at least catch one of those at some point in your steelheading career. But then I listen to reports like this, and my, me- my mellow is fully harshed. <laughs> as Johnson would say, and I decide to use those frequent flyer miles to fish in places that actually still have fish to catch. Yeah, you know? no, I know. I, and I can't, I can't actually blame you. Uh, the truth is I, I haven't fished for steelhead in years, partially because I, I got to go a long way to catch them from here and partially because it's tough for me to justify messing with the few that are still around. Yeah. Like I, I do yeah. feel some level of guilt. That's not a judgment on the people who want to do it. Those, those fish need advocates. But for me, it just kind of feels like, oh, I should probably let those ones. Yeah, do I thing. get that. Well, yeah, that he that that sucker worked all you know for so long to get up through all those dams. Like, just let him do his thing now. Yeah. Like, I kind of get that. Yeah, you particularly know? particularly on top of those Idaho fish, man, they've come a long way, and that's that's oh, the closest yeah. to me, you know. But anyway, we will we will keep all of you up to date on the state of steelhead here at Bent as uh, as new shit comes to light, man. The truth, Joe, is that I've actually never caught a great leg steelhead. Oh, we could fix that. Well, we probably <laughs> should. And, and, you know, not that long ago, both of us were actually over in the Midwest working on a little project for, for meat eater fishing. And even though we missed the steelhead season, we did we did catch some other species. Yeah, hopefully some of you out there have heard of Das Boat, where we take a beat-up old boat, make interesting people accustomed to much nicer boats, take it out in questionable circumstances, film the whole thing and call it a fishing show, <laughs> And uh, one of those interesting people is a guy you might be familiar with, uh, our boss, Stephen Ranella. Steve's here today to talk a little bit about the history of Das Boat 2, uh, also known as Dos Boat, in our first installment of Who's on the Boat. There's a time for love and a time for living. Never get out of the boat. Take a chance and face the Never get out of the boat. Absolutely goddamn right. Okay, when you're watching Das Boat Season 2, Dos Boat, you're going to see an old green 1973 StarCraft Bassmaster. Now, first off, you'll look at this boat and you'll think this boat has nothing to do with mastering bass. It's not like a contemporary bass boat. Uh, the boat, here's the story of the boat. When I grew up, my mom still lives in the house I grew up in, but as I was growing up, if I looked out my bedroom window toward the lake that I, I grew up fishing on, uh, lookers right, a couple of houses down, is the house this old dude named John Gary. And John Gary was uh, our fishing mentor when we were kids, meaning if my dad was gone, plus John Gary is a lot nicer than our dad. So maybe if our dad was home and your fishing rod got tangled up or you needed a bobber or you had a you know, hook in your finger, whatever, you could run down the beach to John Gary's 
and you'd be able to find him anywhere from like 10 in the morning on. He'd be fishing, and then he'd be home cleaning fish, drinking vodka, whatever. He was just always there. And he had all kinds of tackle, and he'd always get your stuff fixed up and squared away. And he always had this boat. I was born in 74, and he bought his boat in 73. The boat still has all the registration stickers on it. Going back to the beginning, just lined up in this long line in four-year increments. And John Gary, he also he kept his boat on one of those haul-outs, and his driveway was a boat launch. And he just fished his ass off for everything on the planet. 16-foot boat. He used to troll for salmon out in the Great Lakes with downriggers. He did everything. He was mostly a panfish specialist. When he died, this boat came to live outside of my mom's pole barn in a lean-to on my mom's pole barn and sat there full of garbage, you know, for a lot of years now. So the story of this season is refurbishing, getting this boat back on the water and getting it back out fishing around a lot of John Gary's old haunts in the Midwest. So it was pretty touching for me because I uh, loved John so much and have so many fond memories of him and how fussy he was about his boat and growing up thinking how great his boat was. And everybody's like, John Gary's got such a nice boat. And everybody wanted to fish on John's boat. And then now you look at John's boat and it's like, just looks like this little teeny old aluminum boat. But my God, can you catch a lot of fish out of a boat like that? So that's what you're going to see when you tune in. You'll be uh, elbow deep, armpit deep, neck deep in nostalgia as we track around the Midwest in John Gary's boat. Check out Steve, Giannis, Cal, Joe, me, and uh, a whole cast of other miscreants on the new season of Das Boat available at TheMeatEater.com. And while you're there, catch up on season one. It's good. It's worth your time. All right. That's probably enough self-promotion for one episode. Uh, Let's talk about a business we have absolutely no stake in whatsoever. It's time for That's My Bar, where we read a plug from one of you degenerates about your favorite fishing bar. You guys have been really, we've been impressed. You've been sending us tons of good stuff. So please keep your bar nominations coming. And uh, this week's shout out comes from our very good friend and regular guest angler, not only on Das Boat, but also here on Banneretti, Frank Smethurst. Best goddamn bartender from Timbuktu to Portland, Maine. Or Portland, Oregon, for that matter. Colorado is a great fishing state. Lots of people say so. Because I live in Montana, I'd be kind of an idiot to make a full day's drive to fish for Rocky Mountain trout when I can do that in my backyard. But I realize the state John Denver serenaded about is trout famous for a reason. Though I haven't fished there much, I actually have done a pretty good bit of drinking during my limited time in Colorado. On a trip through Boulder when I was like 21, a friend introduced me to the Red Bomb. For those of you who are fortunate enough to have no idea what I'm talking about, a Red Bomb is a shot of Jaeger nestled into a four-ounce pour of Red Bull. Nothing, and I mean nothing, encourages mature and responsible behavior like a group of barely legal drinkers combining hard alcohol with lots of sugar and caffeine. Suffice to say, questionable choices ensued, and I've been a little wary of drinking in the Mile High State ever since. My good friend Frank Smethurst has been trying to convince me to reconsider his home state's fishing and drinking opportunity for years. To that end, he recently wrote this recommendation for his favorite Colorado fishing bar. Though it has been renamed the Riverside Bar and Grill, everybody calls the place the Rainbow. Back in the 70s, the Rainbow was founded in Basalt, Colorado. It's right next to the Fly Shop, also known as Taylor Creek, and its outdoor deck hangs over the Frying Pan River. You can even feed the fish, and they like fries. The place is wall-to-wall anglers, guides, clients, and colorful folks fresh off a trip to the pan, likely warming back up with a toddy and fish tacos, even on the snowiest day of winter. Thank you, Frank, for your submission. We will add the rainbow to our list of top-tier fishing bars. My only question is, have you tried feeding fish tacos to the pet trout? Because I know I would. Thanks to all of you who have written to tell us about your favorite drinking establishments with a fishing problem. We have many, many, many more to come. But if you have a bar that you think we should shout out, let us know. Absolutely. Send an email to bent at themeateater.com and try to give us like a compelling paragraph that really sells the place. You know, if you were, you know, if, you, if it's been like, I, I, I like, I, I like Mike's, 
I'm like, okay, <laughs> sounds cool. Like, we yeah, haven't you gotten got, a like, few of those. Like, you know what you should yeah. do? Go to Bills. <laughs> Bills is good. <laughs> you got to you got to kind of tell us why it's so good. You know, just just a little bit. We don't you know don't need to write a novel. Um, uh, you know, and we're not really sure what we're gonna do with all these. Maybe we'll make like an interactive heat map. Like they do for the Rona outbreaks. You know what I mean? Like how much Rona is in your county? How many cool fishing bars are in your county? Swipe right. Yeah. Um, but look, we'll keep you up to date on all happenings in the fishing bar scene here at Bent. Yes, we will. That is one of our favorite scenes to uh, stay abreast of. And, you know, considering that part of our job is keeping you up to date, it's time for fish news. Fish news. That escalated quickly. Quick reminder, it's a competition. Miles and I have no idea which news stories the other dude is bringing to the table. That's kind of how this game goes. And if you've been following along, we now have our uh, masterful engineer, Phil, at the end of every news segment to weigh in on who won news this week. And I have been doing well. And that is because I send Phil Radio Shack gift cards. I was wondering what it was. I knew there was some kind of deal you guys had going in the back end. He's a podcast engineer. I figure he must spend a lot of time in Radio Shack, so those will come in handy. <laughs> I've got to. I've got to find. I got to figure out my bribery game, man. My bribery game apparently <laughs> sucks. But but this could be your week to shine. Uh, you get to lead off, and that's always that's always an I got, advantage. I got the lead off so. spot. I got the lead off spot in case we both found the same thing. Maybe I can leave you high and dry. We'll see. Bring it on, man. All right, here we go. For those of you out there who've been paying attention to fish news, not just, you know, sleeping through it like like you do class, you'll know that we love shark stories because, I mean, sharks, everybody loves shark stories. We're also partial to fish science and evolution and any chance that we can find to make fun of Shark Week. <laughs> well, I have a story that combines all three of those topics. I'm definitely pandering here. Okay. Because last week, research was published about the largest shark ever to swim on this planet, at least as far as we know, the Megalodon, or Meg, as the kids seem to be calling it. And I, I Or as know. that movie that nobody went to see was called. Oh, oh don't worry. We'll get to that movie. Oh, we're going to throw some Meg in there? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Some, be patient. Okay. All right. All right. <laughs> Megalodon has been the subject of significant attention and debate, both in paleontology and pop culture. Researchers are pretty confident that Megalodon lived from about 20 million years ago until about three and a half million years ago, and that it was the biggest, baddest marine predator around. Megalodon evolved alongside whales, which were probably its primary food source. So picture a whale, like a, a humpback whale. And, and now think about it. Yep. Now think about a shark that would hunt whales and potentially be capable of biting one in half. And that's Megalodon. Yep. All right. Mm -hmm. That's a, that's a great image. Oh, I've, I've personally visited that famous Megalodon jaw set hanging in the Smithsonian. Yeah. I believe it is, it is. as a child. I, I saw yeah. lots of pictures. Yeah. And even though researchers have been able to figure out that much. They have not been able to agree on how big Megalodon actually was. Because the problem is that sharks, unlike dinosaurs or other large extinct land animals, have cartilaginous skeletons, meaning they're not made of solid bones, so they don't fossilize very well. The only evidence of Megalodon found intact have been a few scattered vertebrae, and more importantly, their teeth, which are more than seven inches long. So scientists have been comparing those teeth with other living sharks and trying to extrapolate from there, but it's, it's been kind of a, a problem. Size estimates have ranged from 25 to 80 feet. And, you know, that's a pretty big difference. Like they're, yeah. they're, they're, they're not even that's, close. That, that's a swing there. Yeah, yeah mm -hmm. exactly. <laughs> but just this last week, new research from the University of Bristol claims to have figured this problem out. And they came up with an estimated length of about 50 feet, which would make Megalodon more than double the size of a great white shark with a dorsal fin more than five feet high. That's a big ass shark. 
And That's frightening. And there's, you know, there's people on this planet right now that still believe there are some out there. Oh, I know. You know that, right? Oh, oh yeah. Just, just, just hang with me here. Uh, okay, I'll stop talking. Uh, no, I appreciate it. Your 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 <laughs> mind works the same way mine does, and I appreciate that. <laughs> So, so these are, these were some big ass sharks and that is like, that's some interesting research, but really like we wouldn't care about this if we were talking about a giant seal or a giant sloth or really any other extinct creature. This is only a story because we have this cultural obsession with sharks and particularly with big sharks. And it kind of pisses me off. It kind of annoys me how pop culture has just glommed onto the Megalodon. Right, because after after the Jaws franchise ran out of steam and Sharknado turned the whole genre into a punchline, shark horror filmmakers had to get pretty creative. So that led to, just as you were thinking, the the movie The Meg in twenty eighteen. And for those of you who are not up on your terrible B movies, here's a quick rundown. Jason Stratham is a rescue diver who, through an overcomplicated plot, releases a few megalodon that were somehow trapped in the Mariana Trench for the past couple million years. I don't really know. But one of them then goes on a killing spree at a crowded beach in China before Stratham saved the day. There you go. I just saved you a few hours. You're welcome. And then, Bad and as then, that movie and, was. And then Dwight Schrute is his sidekick. Yes. Dwight Schrute is the sidekick. Yeah. So I just will go on record and say when the previews dropped... Just for the hell of it, because I'm such a Jaws fan, I had every intention of seeing it in IMAX, just because, like, I have to, because I'm a shark movie guy. Yeah. And then I, I never got around to it. I have still never seen the Meg. I, from what I can tell, I haven't either, but I, I had to research it for this, and I think you're glad you didn't. And I just gave you the whole plot, so you're done. It's fine. <laughs> and as bad as that movie sounds like it was, and according to the reviews, it was really bad, that plot, it actually mirrors... And this is getting to your your belief, like the, the fact that some people still believe they're around. That plot yeah. mirrors a fake documentary that aired several years ago mm-hmm. on Shark Week. Mm-hmm. And notice, I did not say mockumentary. This isn't like an intentional, we're making a joke fake. I said fake documentary, as in a totally bogus film that tried to pass itself off as legitimate. So it they was, got, yeah, they kind of got in trouble. Not, I don't yeah. say trouble, but they caught a lot of flack because yeah. there's, a fam- there's a famous image from that documentary. It's like a um, a Coast Guard extraction. Like there's uh-huh. a dude hanging off a ladder off a chopper uh-huh. and like under the water, you see this shadow. And this was, uh, they did this after they did the same thing with the, the Killer Mermaids documentary. Yep. Remember that one? Yep. And then they did a, a, I also found this out, it wasn't in what I wrote up, but they did one, another fake documentary of what might have happened if the mermaids and the megalodon fought. <laughs> yes. This That's is, this the is. one, to see, if you're going to pick one. <laughs> but in the one that I'm, we're, we're referencing, just for everybody, so everybody knows, it's called Megalodon, Monster Shark Lives. And uh, the Ever Creative Shark Week Brain Trust claimed they had evidence that Megalodon might not be extinct after all. We just hadn't noticed a giant shark ever. And they they paraded through a series of quote-unquote scientists, but all the scientists in that film, Joe, actors, reading a script. Oh, yeah. Totally uh, BS. None of same, it was true. It's the same thing, you know, with the mermaids. And I... You know, people love, love to cling to the coelacanth. Like, they're always like, yeah. well, there's an example of a fish that we thought was extinct, and it wasn't. Yep. Fine. I, I get that. But, I mean, for how many generations was the oarfish a sea monster uh, of mythology? The giant squid, does that really exist? Well, we've found all that stuff since. Yeah. And even though they say the ocean is, is – we, we know more about outer space than the ocean – Dude, if there was a Meg or or several out there, one would have washed up in Fiji or wherever this shit washes up by now. Yeah, well, I don't I don't believe it's out there. It's definitely not. It's I mean, let's just <laughs> it's not. It's not a thing. Okay. okay I, we agree I, I, on people that. like to point to the mega mouth shark too, but one of the major differences here is that those fish actually or shark, excuse me, did live in very, very, very deep water where we can't go. All the evidence of Megalodon is that it was actually a shallow water predator. Right. So we would have found it. Uh, we would have found it. And and fun little fact that I hadn't put in there, the the state fossil of North Carolina is the megalodon tooth. Okay. There Two things go. there. The megamouth shark was always included in my shark coloring books as yes. a young kid. 
and I never colored it because I'm like, that's a lame shark. It looks it looks like a beluga whale. It has no teeth. So I was never into the mega mouth. But it's funny you say that about North Carolina state fossil being the megalodon tooth. That is a dream of mine. And I, I know a handful of people that live, you know, some in Florida, some in the Carolinas specifically. It, if you know where to look, it's not that uncommon to, oh, yeah, no, to I, find I megalodon teeth. Acquaintances who, who, that's what they do. Yeah. And in fact, uh, one of the old editors at one of the old magazines I worked for, when he was younger, he was a mate on a party boat, I think it was, in Georgia. And there was a spot out there that was known for him. And like people would snag a bunch of seaweed on the party boat and bring it up and there'd be a freaking full meg tooth like glued to the seaweed. Like he had one. I'm like, God, I want that. And like, that's like, that's my dream. Yeah. No, I, I like I said, I know folks who, who, who do it and we're getting way off, off script here, but I... I, I have also wanted to do it, but the guy who I know who's serious about it, like his mentor who taught him how to do it, died diving for those teeth. So it's it, it comes with some risk. I'll yeah. just I'll just say that. It's not like, oh, you just dive down and grab some some giant shark teeth. <laughs> Here we go. Uh well, but to yeah. to get back to my initial point, like I'm annoyed about the fake documentary and people just kind of like trying to play up this this megalodon thing. Because we're just selling people on the fear of a creature that A, has not existed in millions of years, and B, it ain't whales. Right. Not people. Not you. This is not a thing that's like hunting you. It ate whales. You were not even a Cheeto. Yeah, yeah, for this yeah thing. I was gonna say you're not even like a poppy seed no. in the damn thing's teeth. But having said that, if if you are one of those folks who just loves the shark horror genre, you know, maybe you, Joe, I got good news. The, the rumor the rumor mill has it that Meg 2, the trench, is in development. So there's another oh, one coming. I'll have to get caught up. That's yeah. yeah. I'll get caught up. All right. I'm trying to think of a good segue here. We'll go from the uh from uh sharks that don't exist to uh getting in trouble on Instagram. That's a, <laughs> a shit seg. Real smooth. If, if smooth. Phil is factoring segues in, I just lost today because that was Total brain fart. Anyway, look, here's a classic tale about how the uh, inability of many fishermen to simply keep their mouths shut and photos to themselves can swing around and bite you in the ass. And this comes from the Miami Herald headline, he caught a big fish near Key West, but he went to jail after bragging about it. O'Reilly Auto Parts are in the business of keeping your car on the road. O'Reilly Auto Parts offer friendly, helpful service and the parts knowledge you need for all your maintenance and repairs. If you're confused about what part you need, like what wipers are going to be the best, what replacement headlights are going to be the best, go into O'Reilly and talk to the people that work there because they're great and they're super friendly and they'll get you squared away where you walk out knowing you got the right thing. They've got thousands of parts and accessories in stock, either in-store or online, so you never have to worry if you're in a jam. Do you need your windshield wipers replaced? you need a brake light fixed? you need some quick service? They'll help you find the right part or point you to the nearest local repair shop for help. The professional parts people at O'Reilly Auto Parts are your one-stop shop for all things auto do-it-yourself and you can find what you need in store or online. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit us at O'ReillyAuto.com slash meat eater. That's O'ReillyAuto.com slash meat eater. You ever get that feeling you're stuck inside staring at screens and a primal urge kicks in? You crave wide open spaces, fresh air, the chance to connect with the land? Well, maybe it's time to find your own piece of the wild, but searching for property can be a maze. That's where land.com comes in. They got millions of listings across the country, from mountain ranches to hidden fishing holes. Their search tools are like a seasoned guide helping you narrow down what you want. Land.com isn't just about buying and selling. It's about finding a place to hunt, fish, explore, or simply sit by a campfire and listen to the crickets. So head over to land.com today to turn one day into today because trust me there's nothing quite like the feeling of standing on your own piece of earth there's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the sunshine state or any other destination on your fishing bucket list book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids 
With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. And this is the story. (laughs) And this is the story of Joshua David and Zesky, 18 years old. And it says he was jailed after state fish and wildlife officers said he removed a Goliath grouper from the water so he could pose for a photo with it. He was arrested on a misdemeanor charge of possession of a Goliath grouper, booked into the Stock Island Detention Center, and released the same day after posting a $7,500 bond. Now, to catch you guys up, in case you are not familiar, Goliath grouper have been protected in the U.S. since 1990, which means harvest and possession of these species, it's, it's completely outlawed. Uh, and this also explains, I'm sure you guys have seen this, when you see somebody posing with a Goliath grouper, the fish is usually boat side, right? It's still in the water. Or uh, the even cooler thing to do now is jump in the water with your Goliath grouper, cradle yeah, it as it catches thing, his right? breath. Yep. And then uh, you get splashed as it kicks away, and then you get a ton of... Uh, comments when you post that video on your Instagram account. And all of that is perfectly okay, right? The Florida Fish and Wildlife Commission says it's okay to snap some pics with your Goliath as long as it doesn't get in the way of a fast, healthy release. But young Mr. Anzeski just made so many wrong turns. He just, (laughs) he strayed so far and I kind of don't feel bad for him. So if you're out there thinking like, oh, come on, man, you know, give the kid a break. He was proud of his fish. All right, listen, and I read on. Anzeski said he caught the 20-pound juvenile in the lagoon on the campus of the College of the Florida Keys on Stock Island, according to the the arrest report by FWC. The lagoon where the Goliath came from is the college's dive training lagoon, and there are signs posted there that indicate fishing is prohibited. The lagoon is a classroom space where we teach diving and marine science classes, said Amber Ernst Leonard, the college's spokeswoman. It is filled with wildlife that we value and respect. So uh, I read that as kind of like aquarium, which means lame move, bro. <laughs> that's like, that's strike two. All right. That's, yeah, that's lame. Okay. Yeah. Um, and the story goes on to say, Anaziski said he caught the fish, took it out of the water and was, quote, messing around with it, FWC said. <laughs> Was just, you know, and that's like such a teenager thing. Like, you know, you get picked up by the cops. We're, we're just messing around. Just messing around, man. Just what messing around. Deal? He removed the hook uh, from its mouth before taking the photo, and the police said it's a problem that Anazeski took the fish from the water and traveled at least a hundred feet from where he caught where did it he go? to take the photo. I don't know. I saw the picture online. That it's just like a dorm room building behind. It's it's a totally. <laughs> Okay, you, you know what I mean. He's like, bro, I got to show my roommate this. Yes. Dude, yeah, you won't believe I mean, what I just caught out of the, the, the aquarium out front. You, <laughs> you can't really tell what's behind him. But it's like, it's like the building that would be at a community pool or something, <laughs> like the locker room building. Yeah. Um, you know. But now here's the funny thing, right? You might assume he got pinched because he posted his catch on social. Nope. He was smart enough, I guess, to not do that. But he did send the shot in a group text to a bunch of buddies to brag about it. And one of them clearly was a person Josh pissed off because they snitched. They ratted. Mm. One person on that group text sent that shot to FWC. Um, and, you know, a few thoughts on this. First, what's jail like on Stock Island in the Keys? You know, the Keys uh. are like such a happy, carefree, relaxing environment. Are there poorly done fish murals in the cells like on every other building down there leaping mahis and smiling sea turtles i mean it's probably not that different from <laughs> duval street after bar close time <laughs> like i would assume it's the same cast of characters they're just a little bit more uh penned in shall we say yeah it's probably pretty rowdy you're right i've seen some rowdy stuff down there i just always wonder it's like what's jail like in paradise you know? <laughs> maybe i bet it's hot that's what i'm gonna bet yeah. i bet it's really hot and sticky probably Probably. So, you know, I will say bad move. Okay. Even before he caught the grouper, just fishing in the training lagoon. However, I have to admit, I did something similar one time, but completely unknowingly. And this was a truly innocent mistake, but I went to Aruba for spring break one year, which is a terrible Island. 
So if you're an angler considering Aruba for a fishing destination, stop considering it. And uh, anyway, this resort we were at had this private island with these little boats that would run guests out to the island to lay on the beach, and they had their tennis courts and all that junk out there. But they left one end of the island wild and scenic, so you could do nature walks and junk. Mm. So one morning, I catch the first boat out, 6 a.m., super, there's like super hot Danish girls on the boat or whoever, whatever country owns Aruba, and like me, the dork with like the rods and the flats booties, and I'm making my way to the end of the island. I spot this monster barracuda in a little lagoon, and I cast at him. He bites. He cuts me off. So I'm like, I'll fix your ass, dude. And I put wire on and metal, and uh, I'm just about to cast. And around the corner comes the first nature tour group of the morning, which I did not know they had. And the tour guide is like, over here, you'll see Charlie, our resident barracuda. (laughs) And there I am standing there with a rod on the little bridge. And thank God I didn't cast because Charlie was hangry that morning, dude. 45 seconds later, I'd have had Charlie shaking on a bow grip. They would have got a real good look at Charlie, but I just ran away and didn't bother fishing anymore the rest of the time. You got lucky there. Very smart. Yeah. I, I mean, there are so many different stories that we could go through of, of people getting pinched, particularly in our media space, for just mm-hmm. not being able to, to, to keep themselves from casting at that fish. Yep. That they, they know they shouldn't. It happens all the time. So hopefully lesson learned there, kid. You know, take your lumps, but like, you know, you don't have to yeah. fish in the dive pool. You know, there's you, a million bridges down there. Like seriously, you, know, you could fish catch anywhere. Tarpon at the bridge, dude. Any any other place. Any other place. And I'm gonna I'm gonna move us away from illicit fish toward fish that we should really embrace. Okay. Fish that we should 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 celebrate, really, for, for mm-hmm. reasons that, that have nothing to do with their sport. And on this one, I've really just, I've got great news for you. I picked this story because I care about you, Joe. That's Me really personally. why I, I, oh, I chose okay. this. Yeah. All and, right. I'm and listening a little I'm, harder now. I'm <laughs> just a little, <laughs> I'm hoping, I'm hoping that like when I do this, you'll feel just a little bit better about your own life choices. All right. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So, your, I know you have a, you eat fish like me. We're, we're fish yes. eaters and, yes. and your regular fish consumption habit might just be helping to counteract the fact that where you live is killing your brain. That's right. Yeah. Hmm. Consuming fish flesh may help prevent the brain shrinkage that can come from living on the edge of a city and huffing air pollution. <laughs> It means, dude, you can, you can stay in Philly. Dude, you can move to Trenton <laughs> if you want. And as long as you I, eat fish or shellfish at least three times a week, all that airborne toxicity might not dissolve your white matter and hippocampus. I, I practically live almost equidistant between Trenton and Philly, <laughs> and I actually live directly under the power lines that connect them both. Yeah, see? They run right over the home. So, so what a, this, this is, is good, good information. News. This Keep is going. good news for you. I, I did. I really did pick this for you. A study from the American Academy of Neurology, which seems very legit, collected information on fish consumption habits of people who live in areas with air pollution, then scanned their brains and found that regular fish eaters have an advantage over those who skip the watery meats. And we've known for a long time that, that omega-3 fatty acids in fish are good for brain health and they fight inflammation. That, we've, we've known that. That's not new. But this study specifically looked at one of the known impacts of air pollution, which I didn't know this, is an actual shrinking of certain parts of the brain associated with memory and neural response. So while eating fish won't actually make you smarter, it might keep you from getting dumber. And that's something we could all use. Really? I mean, I, I, I feel my own shrinkage coming on and I would like to fight it in any way I can. <laughs> but before we get too excited, I got to say the study has a few limitations. All the participants were older white women. So it may or may not translate <laughs> to you and me, Joe. Uh, also, since this research only looked at exposure later in life, we can't say for sure that feeding your kids fish will protect them from air pollution. But my main gripe with this study and this is just a personal thing. The main thing that kind of pisses me off is that they completely discounted fried fish. All servings oh, so it, of fried it, fish did not count. Oh, so if you 
Yeah, so, and that means so, like okay, half so if you the fish that I drop eat, it in the deep, yeah, do, would not do it. count. It may or may not be protecting my brain. We don't know because they they like eliminated that as a variable from the study. And I'm saying go back, redo this study, but keep the fried fish in because I want to know if the fried fish helps or not. What was it all steamed? Like what do you got to do? <laughs> it was all it was baked, broiled. Or yeah, or, or or boiled, I assume. Oh, so no pickles, no onions, no fun. Or, or pan words. fried. Like I think it was only deep fried. Like pan fried, cool, deep fried, you're out. The way I pan fry fish, the amount of butter, <laughs> it, it, that wouldn't, it wouldn't be cool. Well, that's kind of that's kind of a bummer. It's like there's people who are like, well, potatoes are a great source of iron or whatever. Yeah, the skin, but like the middle will just make you fatter. <laughs> the middle is just sugar. <laughs> so, so, yes. just, so should I just eat potato skins then? Yeah, if they're not fried and covered in cheese, sure. But who eats potato skins that aren't fried and covered in cheese? Yeah, and I, I hate to admit it, but I, I don't think I'm the minority here. Like, literally, just just last week, I came home with huge bags of, of mahi-mahi fillets. So we were going to eat some fresh the night after the trip. And it's like, I, I, I spend all day, like, coming up with, like, what interesting new things can I do with this? And then, like, the kids get crazy, and, like, dinner's got to get made, and I'm like, just fry the shit. Because that's really what I want anyway. And it's going to be delicious. I want, I want lemon and Old Bay and deep fried and maybe a dash of tartar sauce. So like American, that's actually what I want. American Academy of Neurology, please redo this study. Uh, maybe expand your sample size and look at the fried fish just for us. Like, just just let us know how that goes. <laughs> so, all right. This is great. This is a good segue. Speaking of fried fish... <laughs> I'm going to help you guys get more of those yourself in the digital realm. So follow with me here, because this next story, uh, gosh darn it, I still can't decide how I feel about it. It's either the worst idea or it has the potential to be the next big thing. I don't know, but this comes from CBC Canada. And the headline of the story is, Video Game Developer from Norway Hopes to Lure Players with Fishing Simulation Set in Nova Scotia. Okay, hmm. now, just, here we go. So... Uh, when a Norwegian company needed help testing its new video simulation game, Fishing North Atlantic, uh, one of the people it turned to was 16-year-old honor student from a tiny fishing port in eastern Nova Scotia, because Dakota Keefe knows video games. But he also spent two months on the back of a lobster boat this season fishing with his father and grandfather out of Little Dover near Canso on the province's eastern shore. Keith helped identify bugs in the game while it was in development earlier this year. Now he's one of the first to play the latest version weeks ahead of the official release. And Keith says, you could play the game and you could learn a lot about all the different ports and how we fish here. Uh, he said from the gaming desk in his bedroom. Now I'm, I'm going to skip ahead. Just, just right? what everybody wants out of a fishing game. I want to know oh, what the ports are. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. So <laughs> just a quick note here that it took Keith six hours to download the latest version of this game in the rural town in which he lives. And I looked up Canso to confirm that, yes, in fact, there is nothing there. <laughs> so it does not surprise me uh, that when Dakota isn't lobstering, he's gaming because per Google Maps, other options include walking the Chapel Gully Trail, driving down Marine Drive, or visiting one of three lighthouses. Could not find the Dave and Busters <laughs> on the map in Canso. All right, so I'll continue on here. In the game, players start with a small boat harpooning swordfish in 300 kilometers of water <laughs> off of southern Nova Scotia. As they land and sell their catch at any one of five area ports, they work their way up to progressively larger vessels, including lobster boats and, finally, a factory freezer trawler. <laughs> 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 For Nova Scotia audiences, it features realistic waterfronts and familiar landmarks in Lunenburg, Lockport, Yarmouth, and Digby, and, to a lesser degree, Dennis Point in Lower Pubnico, <laughs> although the Wharfside Dennis Point Cafe is identifiable. <laughs> Dakota says, since I was a kid playing games, I always wanted something that we do. It's the only thing that has anything to do with fishing, on a commercial scale anyway. It's great to be recognized as the province in a game doing what we do here. And I, I guess I sympathize with that growing I up in Canso. I would imagine Tony Hawk's Pro Skater doesn't really speak to you, right? Paperboy, they probably don't have one of those. 
Yeah. And, he, and he, even to that end, like the, the Rapple of Fishing Game on PlayStation, I mean, this kid didn't grow up with Shaw Grigsby and a used bass tracker. You know, he had a dory, a sou'wester hat, and a corncob pipe, you know? I, I hear you, but like, <laughs> did you grow up in some like creepy world full of magic mushrooms and giant green ogres named Koopas? Like, no. Yeah, the part of the I fun know. of gaming is that you get out of the real experience and into right. a world you right. could this never like actually us, exist this- in. <laughs> This would be like us playing a video game called Editing Fishing Stories. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the, there, there's a reason why people commercial fish for work, not for fun. Like, I, I know a lot of commercial fishermen, and, and none of them are like, man, you know what I wish I could be doing when I'm not out on the boat hauling in 1,000-pound nets? Playing <laughs> a game where I'm out on the boat hauling in 1,000-pound nets and never sleeping. But, but wait, here's the clincher, right? The, the maker of this game, Hamakrew, totally sees this going worldwide and plans to expand fishing locations within the game to the U.S. and Japan. And the way I look at it, Japan has to be like the last level, right? Yeah. Because there's just nothing left. Yeah. So like once you've sold the final tuna you need to catch in the U.S. to the Japanese... The digital Japanese buyer gives you the code to get to Japan where you have to catch exactly one fish of any size to be crowned grand, grand champion. I mean, boy, let's be honest. You get you go to Japan, you're just you're just hunting whales at that point. Like that's yeah. that's that's the, the final level of that game is like you're hunting whales and you're trying to dodge the sea shepherd that's coming to kill you. <laughs> okay, all right. That's that that's game great. I might play. Do, yeah. Right. And in the beginning, I said I might be wrong, right? Because I don't know, dude. Maybe like it's like Battleship or Stratego. Maybe commercial fishing works. Uh, people still play Minesweeper. Remember Roller yeah. Coaster Tycoon was the bomb, The Sims. And these are games that a lot of people like me, you know, scoffed at, but people got sucked into. So maybe it works somehow more as a game of strategy. Because obviously it can't be riveting gameplay, kind of like how people like flight simulators. But I will say to the game developer, look, when you when you come up with the U.S. level, look, basing it off Wicked Tuna might work, but Maybe. Swordfish Life on the Line, Pacific Crabbers, and that main Lobsterman show all tanked. All those shows bombed. We didn't like those. So you got to go deadly as catch. And I imagine imagine like a twisted Grand Theft Auto, like you make it a game of choice. You know, it's like the winch is jammed. Will you climb out and free it or swing it into the boat for repair and lose the next pot? You know, you pick one. Uh Uh-oh, you suffered a skull fracture. You know what I mean? (laughs) Half your crew is dead. Did did you used to play Blue Marlin on Nintendo by any chance? Black Bass was my jam on Nintendo. I never got the Blue Marlin. I, I still have a working Nintendo and I have blue Marlin and black bass. Uh, but the blue Marlin, it was always like the fish is taking a hard run. Will you wet the reel or put the boat in reverse and wetting the reel never worked. So yeah, <laughs> kids this Christmas, I hope you're ready for fishing North Atlantic. Oh man. That's a, uh, yeah, I, I honestly don't know where to go with that other than to say, I hope it's better than it sounds. Something that I, I know is going to be very, very enjoyable, however, is coming right at you. We have one of our favorite people coming up in one of our favorite segments. It's time for Smooth Moves. Hold on. Pre-ordering my copy of Fishing North Atlantic. There. Can't wait. Despite pandering to my hashtag gamer instincts, watch the throne. Miles Nolte is the winner this week. Miles, congrats on your first win. Shout out to the Statham Hive out there. And, Miles, thank you for showing such concern for your friend Joe for breathing in all that horrible, toxic East Coast air. What a gentleman. Why did you do that? Why? Why did you do that, Terry? Oh, my God. This is where we reach out to uh, a guide or a charter captain or an outfitter, basically anybody who pays their bills or part of their bills by taking other people fishing. So today we're talking with Mandy Urich, one of my absolute favorite people to fish with, even though I've only got to do it on, on the ice and not in open water, which is I know where you really do most of your guiding. Mandy, how long have you been guiding? I don't think I even know how long you guided. it. About 15 years plus. Right on. So, you know, done it a couple times. Ah, just a few times. <laughs> and and I'm sure you've seen some ridiculous shit happen on the water in, in 15 years of guiding. <laughs> you couldn't have said it much better, bud. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right. 
I know you got a story laid, set up for us today. What do you got? Give us your smooth move. Uh, I do a lot of guest guiding, like volunteer trips that I'll donate for nonprofits, um, you know, or celebrities. We'll just lead into that. So we're, <laughs> we won't name names, but we're out fishing and we're on a bigger body of water and the bite's really good. And uh, this client's like, I, I have to use the restroom. And I'm like, hey, all right. I'm like, we can pack up and, and I can run you back to the landing. That's no problem. Oh, no, no, no. I'll be fine. So, all right. Like, not a problem. Like, I'm on the front deck, got my back turned or whatever, just kind of turn the music up on the radio kind of a deal. And. So we're fine, you know, he's like yells at me like, hey, we're good, you know, and I'm like, yeah, all right. So, you know, we go back to fishing or whatever, and it's not even a, a few minutes later, we're walleye fishing, and uh, I set the hook, and it's a good one, you know, and I've, I don't keep fish for myself personally, but, you know, I'm like, hey, do you want do you want this one too? And he's like, yeah, no problem. So I unhook the fish, and I turn around to go throw it in the live well. <laughs> And you can't make this up. The dude shit in my live well. And we had, oh, no. <laughs> we had fish in the live well. And he, he just. Oh, that wasn't the first one? You already had walleyes yes, in the live he, well? He absolutely destroyed my live well with these fish in it. And I had no idea what to say. I'm like having this meltdown. And I literally just dropped the fish back over the side of the boat into the lake. <laughs> <laughs> trying to be cool about it right like not to embarrass them but i'm like what are you thinking man like we've got fish in the live well <laughs> and the worst part is so like we we were close to like filling out our limit right being done for the day and i'm like for the rest of the day i'm like i didn't i'm like oh yeah this one's not big enough to keep <laughs> kept throwing fish back <laughs> good for you for playing that game because i would have been like Dude, you like you, they're all the walleyes are now shit you I'm who's eating those. I'm actually speechless. I couldn't have played that up and I oh man. So, I, good for you. I don't know how I'd respond to that other than to hand him like a net and be like, you need to clean that out right now. There wasn't anything you could scoop, bud. Oh no. Oh no. Oh, that's so much worse. So that's getting it that's was, so it, much so worse. There, Okay, yeah, so it wasn't solids, which means he was getting right into the meat. Like the fish were breathing it. Yeah, it was going right was running through. running through their circulatory system. Just mainlining poop, basically, is what those fish were doing. It's like, it's like, it's like shit ceviche so, right there. We, we get to the, we get to the, here, it gets better. So we get to the <laughs> landing, and we have these invasive species people that, you know, check your boats or whatever. So you got to pull the drain plug and you got to pull the, the live well plug, right? Let the water run out. Gagging. I don't have a glove or anything in there. I pull, oh. reach in, I have to pull the plug in the live oh. well. The poor invasive oh, species God. like monitor that monitors the access is standing behind my boat. Water's like running on his feet. And I'm like, dude, back up. Like, back oh. up. <laughs> I didn't have the heart to tell him what it was. <laughs> so what'd you do with the walleyes? <laughs> Normally I do like it, you know, I clean the fish for them. I package them up. It depends on how long they're going to be in town. Sometimes they'll, you know, freeze, or, uh, freeze them for them or whatever. And so <laughs> finally, like we get done with the inspection, the, the guy like gets in the truck and I have to like go drop them back off at his resort. And I was like, so, uh, what, what, what do you want to do with these fish? Do you want to clean them or do you want me to clean them? And he's like, well, he's like, could you just clean them right at the cabin? He's like, we're going to do a big fish fry tonight. <laughs> so I had to clean these oh fish. Oh my God. You are a much nicer person than <laughs> either of you us. Are. Why would you, you even are offer so that? Much I, mean, nicer I, than I put we your are. fish in a garbage yeah. bag. Take them if you there want you them. Go. You, you deal with your own poop fish. Thank you. <laughs> the worst part is, is, so they have like this big dinner and they asked me to stay. And I was like, they started eating the fish. And I was like, I got to go, guys. I got an early morning tomorrow. Thanks a lot. <laughs> so they ate, they ate the they fish. Ate the they fish. ate the shit fish. They ate the fish. <laughs> and he didn't, fish. he didn't tell them. No. I still wake up dry heaving. <laughs> In the middle of the night, ever since Mandy told this story. And we had to cut that interview down because otherwise we'd all still be dry heaving into our Cheerios. Uh, but what you don't necessarily get is that the dude 
who befouled her live well as an experienced angler, right? Like this isn't like just a random, random dude, someone no. who works in the fishing industry. No. And he should know better. There's no I excuse. mean, anyone should know better, but especially him. But the part of that story Ugh. that sticks with me, it's not even the act. No. Right? Because sometimes when you gotta go, you gotta go. Like we've all been there. But choose it's your the, targets, man. Choose, like, well, choose your targets. Don't yes. just open the bomb doors anywhere. You gotta <laughs> gotta know where you're dropping your payload. That's all I'm gonna say. Don't you feel like if you did that, and even like if as you were doing it, you were like, I shouldn't have done this, you'd at least be mad enough to be like, I'm really sorry we have to throw out all those walleyes. I wouldn't have pretended nothing friggin' happened and then wanted them cleaned for the family. Uh, like, can you a, imagine that dinner? Like, you're sitting there. Like, first of all, is that dude eating? Is he like shoveling it down or is he like pushing them around the plate and watching his his family and friends eat the shit walleye? Yeah. I think he was eating it. I think he was uh, diving in with gusto. I think he just like scrubbed it from his mind and he's like, well, you know, it's all part of the cycle. It came from me and it is going back to me. So it's vile. Uh, it's, it's vile. vile. It's, it's, it's the most vile story we've had on smooth moves yet. Mandy, you're winning right now. Yes. Cheers moves, to Mandy for that. Yeah. It's a so high honor. Just, just consider this whole thing a, a public service announcement from us, your friends here at Bent. Never poop in the live well. <laughs> All right. We're almost out of time, but I feel like we need a little uh, a little cleansing flush after that story. We wouldn't want to leave that particular taste in your mouth. So for this week's end of the line, Joe is going to school you up on a super seeker bait that's damn near impossible to find these days. Fishy, 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 fishy. Well, that's not loud enough, Bert. This week, let's talk about Helgramites. All right. Helgramites are Dobson flies in their larval stage. And in that larval stage, they live in water. And these are big, juicy, nasty, segmented, black alien centipede-looking suckers with these mean-ass pinchers at their mouth, right? Now, some of you are probably familiar with the Dobson fly, right? And I'll be honest, they scare the shit out of me. An adult Dobson fly is so big, when you're on the river at night, like you think like a bat just came whizzing past your head. And by the time they reach that adulthood, those pinchers are now like five times longer than they were when they were a Helgramite. I swear they will bite you. And one time, this is no joke, a Dobson fly ended up in my truck, chomped on my buddy's neck while I was driving. And there was swerving and screeching brakes and and pandemonium a la the deer scene in Tommy Boy. Anyway, I wish I had some Helgramites to put on the end of my line. There's some reminiscing involved in this segment today. Truth be told, I haven't fished a live one since I was a teenager. Because back in the day, you could actually buy live Helgramites in a few bait shops around here. Now, not only are all of those bait shops gone, which I'm sure many of you can relate to, the art of Helgramite collection, at least where I live, is sort of a a thing of the past. It's a lost art. And the saning of Helgramites, that's easy, right? Get a piece of screen, you stretch it between two wooden dowels, wedge that downstream of a rock, lift the rock, and let the contents, which hopefully includes Helgramites, flush into the screen. But the real art for the guys that used to collect for the shops wasn't the actual saning. It was knowing exactly where to go, and most importantly, when, based on intimate knowledge of when they'd score the most Helgramites, you know, based on everything from the season to temperatures to probably the moon phase. Who knows? But if you factor in all that went into getting enough Helgramites to sell, it made a dozen pretty pricey for a teenager. So we only bought them as kind of a special treat, or in some cases, as an insurance policy. If you've ever fished live Helgramites, you can attest to the fact that no matter how goddamn lockjawed or hunkered down the smallmouths are, no matter how convinced you are that you're not catching a single one of them that day, you put down the Rapala and send out a live Helgramite under a float, it gets eight. Pure and simple. A live Helgramite can suddenly make a bronze back appear in a puddle of rainwater in the parking lot at Walgreens. And as I've been told, that's all because of smell. The aroma emitted by a live Helgramite underwater is so intoxicating, so inviting, and so deliciously pungent that regardless of conditions, smallmouths can't not eat one if they have the opportunity. And despite all the soft plastic Helgramites there are out there, I've even seen some some Helgramite hard crankbaits, um, none of them will even be a fraction 
as potent as the real thing until science figures out how to bottle that real deal Helgramite B.O. You know, I've seen a few Helgramites in my day, but any success I had was, was all by pure luck, right? If I found two in five hours on a full mile of stream, I was like thrilled. It, it's really like panning for gold. So if you do get your hands on some live Helgramites, treat them like gold, because I promise they are. And, you know, a few years ago, I was driving through the northwestern hamlet of Buttsville, New Jersey, and there's this old post office that's been converted into a home, and on the porch was a cooler on a folding table next to a hand-drawn sign that just read Helgramites. And I was so curious that I had to stop, and the homeowner, a guy named Paul, who kind of looked like Jimmy Houston, right? He came out in these jean shorts and this old white t-shirt, and he just said, ain't got any today, gone out tonight. And I asked him, if I could come back up sometime to go with him, thinking maybe I'd pen a story about the last Helgramite harvester in Jersey. And his response to that was simply, oh, hell no. Okay, so just a quick recap here. Western steelheaders are depressive, <laughs> self-righteous stoners. <laughs> Dose Boat has a strong fishing pedigree and you should never eat fish out of Mandy Yurick's live well <laughs> ever. Forever unclean! That about sums it up. Please drop us a line at bentatthemeateater.com. Let us know what's going on in your local fishery. Tell us what we got right, what we screwed up, what you wish we would do more of, and what you wish we would just stop doing altogether. We can take it. Yeah, and while you're at it, if you're digging the show, please do us a favor. And give us some stars in, in those Apple podcasts. Maybe leave us a review. Really matters. Or best of all, introduce this show to your fishing buddies. Play it on the on the ride to the, the water, the, the river, the, the ocean, wherever you're going, the lake. We don't care. Play it for them. Even those buddies that are not allowed in your house ever again. I think I'm going to call up a couple of those buddies and, and see if they can get out on the water this weekend. Oh, nice. I'll be waiting for your call, Joe. <laughs> And uh, I'll talk to the rest of you next week. You ever get that feeling the walls closing in, the concrete jungle suffocating you? You crave some wide open spaces, the chance to connect with nature, maybe in a spot all your own. Well, head over to land.com they've got ranches forests mountains streams you name it search by acreage you can search by location you can search by the kind of hunting and fishing you're dreaming of land.com it is where the adventure begins hey we're going to take a little break here and talk about interstate batteries now if you're like me enjoying the great outdoors you need gear that is as reliable as it gets that's why i power my adventures with interstate batteries I use interstate batteries in my boats. I use interstate batteries in my camper. Great for your truck, too. From Alaska to Montana, they're outrageously dependable. Battery is essential. With over 150,000 dealer locations, finding one is easy. For all your vehicles, land or sea, choose interstate. Head to interstatebatteries.com and find your power today.